Welcome everyone and uh, tonight we are discussing the untapped Africa digital market and whether it can be leveraged for Africa in the global trade. And uh, in the discussion tonight we have uh, three panelists. We have uh, Chido, uh, Rebecca and Monica. We'll be speaking about different aspects of the Africa digital economy from the uh, digital divide that exists between Africa and the other economies. And then we'll be looking at whether uh, opening up the African market might be advantageous to Africa and in the sense that can they leverage that, can Africa leverage that for global trade. So uh, I will have each panelist introduce themselves and then we will carry on with the discussion. So Chido, you could introduce yourself, then Monica, you go next, and then uh, Rebecca. Chido, welcome. Thank you so much, Kristen, for having me. My name is Chido Chashen Nicolet Nure. I'm based in South Africa, but I'm Zimbabwean by nationality. And I am an international trade, investment, and business law enthusiast. I'm currently studying at the University of the Western Cape. Thank you, Chido, for that. Uh, Monica, if you could introduce yourself. Um, hello, my name is Monica Perimo. I am currently a student and advocate training at the Kenya School of Law. I have an interest in international trade law, international investment law, and even digital law. So I'm very glad to be on this panel today, and I look forward to discussing some of the issues that we are going to discuss. Thank you. Thank you, Monica, and it's very nice to have you tonight. Rebecca? Hi, everyone. Good evening. My name is Rebecca Njuguna. I'm a Kenyan based in South Africa, studying at the University of Cape Town. Um, I'm in the area of information systems, uh, where I'm carrying out research, and my particular interest is in ICT for D. So, and the digital market, digital economies currently is a hot topic on ICT for D and how Africa can leverage that. So, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Okay, thank you so much, Rebecca, for being here, and we look forward to having you. And so, if I could introduce, give a general perspective and give a few observations that have been made about Africa and the digital economy and the role that it plays on development in Africa. So I'm quoting uh, an article uh, that notes that global inequality is connected to the topic of digital divide because technology is one aspect of material wealth and wealth production is more and more based on technology and knowledge. So basically the idea is that although we say that it's a globalized economy with digital divide across uh, the different economies, that means the economies that are not participating fully in the global economy. Because currently, wealth production and material wealth is being driven by technology and knowledge. And then it's also noted that developing countries are not, are not only economically excluded, but they're also deprived of political power, cultural skills needed for active participation in the information uh, society. And ideally, same thing, you know, uh, for developing countries that do not have uh, like much of their active participation in, in the tech world, then they are very much economically excluded from uh, the global economy. So that's basically what we are looking at. And then the question is that uh, appreciating that uh, African economy on the digital side is not as developed. Is it time to like open up the African uh economies for, you know, like other people to develop uh, the digital side? 
what does that look like? Should it should this be leverage for Africa? And basically, that's uh, the discussion we'll be having. We'll look at different aspects. But first, I will have Chido speak about this whole idea of the digital divide and what that really means and looks like for Africa. Chido? Thank you so much, uh, Christian, for that uh, introduction. Very clear. And I do agree with the remarks that have been made that the continent is uh, digitally excluded and that obviously then affects its overall performance when it comes to economic development. And I will start by answering the question whether or not Africa should actually open itself to investment within the, for instance, the telecom sector, so that there is investment in ICT. I actually do think that's what we have to do because some of the factors that are actually leading to the digital divide, I don't think we can deal with that alone as a continent without any other help. But I, on the other hand, I don't think that there is also it's a quick fix situation where we have investors coming in and then they invest in our telecom sectors and our ICT sectors and then the next thing, you know, we have, you know, we are now on the same level of uh, development with other countries. So there are four factors that I genuinely would identify with the digital divide in Africa, and the first one being the socio-economic uh, considerations. The, when we're talking about the social economic considerations, we're pretty much looking at how many people are able to afford tech mediums within the continent. And also, it also speaks to the idea of the, of lack of internet access. So I will give an example, uh, of a research study that was conducted in 20, 2019 by the OECD, which actually realized that only 10 out of 45 Africans could afford internet connectivity. And if you then look at the ratio that the ratio from their salaries that they had to pay towards actually getting, you know, that access to connectivity. It was such a huge chunk of their salaries. And I'll give you examples of countries like South Sudan where you realize that only 7.78% of the whole population, I'm talking about a population of about 11 to 12 million people, have access to, to internet connect connectivity. That obviously then speaks to how those people are going to be alienated when we start talking about the digital economy. They can't reap the benefits of uh, digital digital uh, digital markets and, and all these other con conversations that we're going to be having. Then you look at the weak infrastructure, which which really is a problem that is across the continent. The the level of internet penetration within the continent is actually very low when compared to other you know, other continents, right? So in 2019, it was actually considered that, you know, the internet penetration rate in Africa was about 39.3%. And that's the lowest. The second lowest was actually Asia, which was sitting at 53.6%. And that's a very huge margin. Then we have Europe at 87.2 and then uh, North America in the 90s, actually at 94.6%. So obviously, these are the continents that have progressed when it comes to uh, internet penetration, they are, they are definitely going to be, you know, reaping more benefits from the digital market as compared to the African continent. And that continuously then widens the gap of inequality, global digital inequality between Africa and all these other continents. So the infrastructural challenge really is something that we need to consider and address. And I think that's when we can start talking about you know, investment and having other people come in and invest in our infrastructure, in our, you know, in, in our in capacity building. Because even the literacy rate itself is a problem that is leading to the digital divide within the continent. Not many people actually are very much 
uh, techno servant, if I could say. They are not, not many people are, have the know-how, not only to use technology, but even to, you know, to, to run technology at big tech companies. So I feel like we also then need investment when it comes to capacity building. And then the other thing that then really is so close to my heart, Kristen, relates to, you know, internet shutdowns that are so rampant on the continent that are usually politically motivated. And I, I, I think that on its own becomes one of the big uh, stumbling blocks, even when we start talking about foreign investment. Because, I mean, every other, in, from an investor's perspective, you want to invest in a place that has got certainty, political certainty, economic certainty, social certainty. And I don't think that as far as we continue having these, you know, random internet shutdowns by governments uh, during elections or, you know, civil uprisings, impending conflicts and all these other things that we can then really say we, we are in a better position to, to attract investment. Um, we, we have had cases of countries like Uganda, like South Sudan. I mean, even in the sub-Saharan sub Africa, there are a lot of countries, Southern Africa, there are a lot of countries that have had to have these internet shutdowns. And I'll give an example of an internet shutdown that happened um, in Sudan in which about 1.4 people were completely isolated from the digital economy and i'm talking about this does not only affect you know day-to-day -day communication but this affects even msmes that have got that i have got you know online businesses this affects e-commerce in itself so i feel like that is something that has to be addressed and unfortunately i don't think that the au itself is actually doing so much to make sure that it deals with this whole issue of government interfering. Um, you have the AU Commission complaining about, you know, how governments are shutting down internet, but not doing so much to make sure that that does not continue. Uh, in, in, 20, in 2020, it was actually estimated that the continent lost about $2 billion in U.S. dollars that could have otherwise been realized through the digital economy. And this money was lost as a result of this random internet uh, um, shutdowns and cuts that the governments really just do on, on, on whenever because somebody doesn't agree with them. So I feel like those are the, the main issues that we, we, we need to deal with as a continent because as you have rightfully pointed out, the inequality rate is there. And now we also have to then speak about gender digital divide because that's also an issue. So we, you realize that we end up having to fight many battles because we are just lagging behind based on these other generic factors that I've, 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 I've highlighted. Thank you so much. Mm. Those are very good observations, and especially on the internet shutdowns, because one of the, one of the questions that Becky, you could, uh, you, I will be asking you to comment on is to what extent is political instability, culture negatively impacting mm. on development uh, of the African digital economy? And those are two things that you've touched on, on politics interfering and culture, you know, like for instance, uh, the gender inequality, uh, you know, like uh, you find like most uh, women might not even be, might be more disadvantaged in accessing even internet because they cannot afford it. Or if like, for instance, in an earlier discussion that we had, someone was noting that if it's like within a home, and one person has a phone, it mainly is not the woman who has it. Or if there's, there's one who has to have a smartphone, it's mainly the man who has it. Or if there's money to spare, to spend, it's mainly the man who has the money to spare, to spend, which they will spend on the internet. So 
quite a lot to think about. So, Becky, uh, please, if you could contribute to this topic. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, and Chido, you've laid a good foundation on you know, the main issues that are ailing us. And I totally agree with you, and especially on the issue of one of the things that is lacking being infrastructure. And I will uh, divert and, and, and highlight another issue that I think is critical, and especially in terms of um, how politics and culture um, impact, have impacted the speed of development and where we are now. And um, I just want to highlight a more existential thing uh, with regards to how we view the inequality we find ourselves in and the history. So we are a very, we are, we are, we are a continent that focuses a lot on raw production rather than knowledge. So the countries that we look up to, the countries that we refer to as developed, are mainly knowledge economies. And the difference is basically the premium that a nation places on information, how the information is gathered, how it informs decision-making. So when I think about the culture and, and the politics, I think those two, it's like a chicken egg, what influences what. So let's just think about it. I'll just refer it to as culture. If you think about how decisions are made in Africa, there is very little emphasis that is placed on making, on you know, collecting data, learning from our history, because that is what would help us appreciate. This is how things have been done before, and these are currently the ways that we could improve, or this is what we can keep. I think the current inequality is, is not even something I can blame on recent technologies. I don't think we are, we've just lagged behind because of uh, failing to adopt quickly to recent technologies. In my view, this is a problem that precedes global digitalization by far in the sense that we have, we simply haven't had the culture to document knowledge, to stop and reflect on how things have been done before and then think about how we can, um, uh, improve them. While other countries have already been doing that, so that when these new technologies have become available, it's, they move very quickly to digitize their knowledge bases and accumulate the kind of skills that are needed to tap even more benefits from te technological efficiency. We, on the other hand, haven't even figured out how to collect data, digitize it, and analyze it to gain insights that would allow us to propose solutions to our problems. And in addition to that, so um, I highlight Chido's point to add that we, we lack both the infrastructure, but also the value, like understanding the value of data. It's one thing to have technology. It's a totally different story to be guided by data, to even know how to make best use of this technology. When available data sets are not provided, like an institution is sitting on a data set, that would be very helpful to provide insights about maybe a group of people, but they hold onto that data such that it's not available to like NGOs that conduct research that would inform policy on digital transformation. So uh, the other issue, so the main issue is how our view of knowledge, documenting it and learning from it so that it can help us to build more efficient processes and utilize technology better. The second thing is, um, it, I always find myself going back to education 
and how our curriculum is uh, is, is built in most countries. We have very poor thought and execution of curriculum such that there is very low emphasis on encouraging creativity, innovation, and entrepreneurship. So most curricula are geared towards the colonial and post-colonial agenda of you get educated, get a white-collar job and a salary and, and that's it. Rather than you know, looking inward at your own capabilities and interests, the needs and opportunities around you and your community and thinking about how do I innovate to solve this problem. So you have a lot of, you have, you still have the mentality, um, the mentality is still very rampant where people in rural areas are thinking about how do I get educated and leave this place? Because this place doesn't have um, utilities A and B. Instead of thinking, okay, we don't have water around here. How can we drill boreholes? How can we build dams? How can we install solar? How can we build greenhouses for all your farming? How can we automate these farming tasks that don't excite us because they're dirty? So we have a culture that has been fueled by that kind of curriculum where we escape problems rather than buckling up and, and eradicating the problem. So we have, we are not thinking in terms of we, we don't even think of ourselves as potential technologists. We just um, want easy solutions like get a job, have another person do the, that job instead of thinking, okay, this is a process that can be mechanized using technology so that I don't sweat as much. If sweating or getting that is what discourages you from, from doing it. So my those are my views on the, the politics and culture. I just focused on the, on the culture mainly. We don't place a premium on data and making uh, making um, decisions based on historical data and learning from mistakes and thinking about the future, taking time to reflect. But also the education system is just not doing us justice in terms of encouraging creativity, uh, innovation, and entrepreneurship. Mm. That's, that's, that's good contribution, uh, Becky. And I think there is quite a lot you've said, and I will let Monica go next and speak generally about this topic of like Africa and the digital market and opening it up and what, Monica, your views on that. Uh, thank you so much, Christine, and thank you, Rebecca, and Chido for those um, very knowledgeable insights. I think you have pretty much said everything that I was going to talk about. And I would just like to add that uh, part of the problem that also contributes to this is the fact that um, Africans have not had um, enough time to catch up with the developed countries owing to also the colonial divide that left many African countries impoverished and they are only just trying to build themselves back up. And we can see this given the um, status of the international trade negotiations on the um, Doha round, which have stalled, especially in terms of e-commerce, because African countries are saying when they first came up with the argument on the moratorium in which the developed countries agreed that they were not going to put up uh, tariffs on uh, e-commerce uh, trade, African countries or the least developed countries were not able to negotiate at that time. So this moratorium was being renewed every meeting, and it is still on. So what they're complaining about is that they are still trying to bridge the colonial gap 
that was created due to colonization. And here they are, they are being faced with another problem, which is the digital divide. And this is another um, area in which they have the potential to emerge as um, global powerhouse countries. Uh, for example, South Africa, we can see Rwanda, we can see Kenya and Nigeria really taking up the mantle of being digital powerhouses in Africa. So African countries are basically crying foul from the developed countries that took part in the colonization. And I believe it's about time that in order to seal the colonization gap, we are supposed to um, take part in actively uh, ensuring that the digital economy in Africa is properly regulated, is properly um, encouraged and is enhanced the way Rebecca talked about in terms of education, in terms of innovation. And there are plenty of data that we're going to talk about later in the discussion that is going to point to the future of the digital economy and why it is very imperative for African countries to um, take part in developing themselves using the digital economy. So basically that is it. And I look forward to the next uh, session of the discussion in which we're going to get deeper into this matter. Thanks a lot, Monica, for that. And yeah, quite a lot to think about uh, looking at the past of where Africa is coming from. Even if I think that's a whole discussion on whether how far should Africa be saying colonialization is the reason why they can't develop their digital economy going forward, you know. I mean, it's a live issue uh, that we are dealing with as of today. So how much should we look at the past uh, to uh, as, a, as faulting our development today? But, Chido, I'll come back to you and uh, I will quote again uh, an article that notes that Ghana and South Africa are two of the seven African countries that signed the WTO Telecommunications Agreement in 1997. The agreement requires countries to liberalize their telecommunications markets and to open these markets for foreign investors. This is the heart of the discussion. How much should Africa open their digital markets to foreign investors? And can Africa opening up uh, the digital the digital markets act as leverage for something else in global trade? So like uh, as Monica has pointed out, there are these deliberations that will happen at WTO and Africa will be given, uh, you know, like most times it's, uh, developing countries would be asking, you know, like be more lenient to us, to our uh, products as we export them. But can this form part of the negotiation and as leverage for African countries? Chido, if you could generally speak about that. So, you know, it's, it's a very sad um reality coming from the quotation that you have just uh, given about how Ghana and South Africa were the only African countries that actually signed the WTO to the consensus agreement. And if you if you then look at that, you wouldn't be very much surprised because I think it's becoming part of a of an African culture. Uh, Monica rightfully spoke of the e-commerce uh, conversations within the WTO context. And how currently there is not even an e-commerce protocol yet. I mean, that's where we, where, where we are now. Uh, the, there are so many conversations around the moratorium and how it should be extended and all these other things. And even if you then, you know, look at that con uh, conversation from an African perspective, you then look at most um, of the other agreements that speak to generally e-commerce, digital, economy, technology, how they are treated within the continent, you'd realize that we've always lamented how 
uh, Africa has not yet ratified fully uh, the Convention on Cybersecurity and Data Protection, which is very important, especially when we're talking about you know digital markets, the digital economy, and all these other things. So I think there is just a general you know unwillingness in Africa to to have those conversations to really embrace technology. And I think Becky tried to to bring that conversation up. And going back to the the beauty or uh, telecom services conversations, you'd realize that when the when the negotiation started you know they never wanted to make it mandatory it was always based on a voluntary basis joining the negotiating group was voluntary and it was like you said mainly to be to 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 open up telecom services markets uh market access issues and also uh the whole idea of foreign investment so the the other thing that maybe you you, you haven't mentioned that I need to highlight that will probably explain why most African countries are were not keen and are still not interested relates to the idea of you know competition laws and policies. So the telecom service, services sector in generally was uh, monopolistic, right? So you realize that with this agreement and also moving through the decade and what has been happening, there has been introduction of competition into the sector. So when it was monopolistic, um, it was mainly to the benefit of governments. So now by having to open that to competition and allowing new entrants into the markets and, you know, foreign entrants into the market, it was always then going to be a bitter pill to swallow for African governments because they were generating so much revenue from the, from the telecom service sector. If you, if you, if you look at the uh, global market for that sector, you'd realize that it is, probably worth over 1.5 trillion dollars that's in revenue and for a long time that revenue was just you know within the within governments and it was not um in any way getting to the private sector that's when we have the agreement now you know having commitments that include establishing a new telecom companies that are necessarily not parastatals, uh you know having provisions for foreign direct investment in existing companies that are all either parasite or in, uh, in, in private, you have cross-border transmission of telecom uh, services. And you'd realize that even though it, it seems like it's a progressive step to take, especially for most African countries, they are still reluctant. Right now, only about 108 countries have made commitments to actually facilitate trade in the telecom services. And, and 99 have only committed to extend competition in Bay telecom services so there is still that whole idea of you know monopoly that sort of uh clouds the whole sector and i mean that is fine that i find very ironic because if you look at the state of most uh uh telecom of the telecom sector so to say in most african countries you'd realize that it's the most underdeveloped sector like i i don't know if i mentioned earlier that some of the countries especially in sub-saharan africa their telecom sectors are the least developed in the whole world, which then obviously begs the question that we might actually have to consider opening up the markets, making sure that there is adequate market access for either new entrants that could be local or even foreign entrants, right? And then uh, I wanted to put, to point you to a sort a different initiative that has been tried that has been tried at uh, regional level. So the AU uh, tried to adopt or rather adopted 
the digital transformation strategy in, in December 2020, which also seeks to try and liberalize uh, the market and try to gap the digital divide and also the gender digital divide, because those are issues that we can't alienate. But it, it's still far from reality. You see, it then comes back to this idea of, again, willingness. Yet we, 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 we might want to start having honest conversations with ourselves. Uh, concerning how much we actually are in need of investment. So the first thing that actually has to happen, whether, whether countries run to ratify the agreement or not, or they decide to participate in the conversations or not, there is need to actually open up the sector. It, it doesn't have to be foreign investment. It just has to be investment. It could be, you know, local investment. It could be foreign investment. But ultimately, the whole idea is Africa now has to open that market and allow new entrants to, 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 to invest in, you know, infrastructure, like we have been saying, invest in capacity building and ensure that when that happens, there is that smooth transfer of, of technology or what they call technological diffusion, which also is part of, you know, those who open a conversation about comparative advantage and all these things. But I still maintain that we have no other way, Christine, to deal with this than actually having to open our markets, the telecom market. Do you know that those are very, good observations. I mean, like, the, in the telecom uh, sector, a country like Ethiopia, the government has monopoly over the the one telecom that is available to, like, most, a majority of the people in Ethiopia. It's only recently that they stock of the Kenyan Safaricom uh, telecom uh, that it might be able to get into the Ethiopian market at some point. But as you know, it, I mean, with the monopolistic tendencies are quite uh, a problem. Uh, Rebecca, I don't know what more you have to add to what Shido has to say on this. Uh, I definitely agree, I totally agree with Shido that opening up um, for foreign investment um, is the way forward. And I think of transfer of technology as it's it's not always, um, as much as we want to develop homegrown solutions to, to our problems, it's not always a wise thing to reinvent the wheel. In, in all situations and transfer of technology at, in, at the point where we are we stand to gain a lot and um, the example that comes to the top of my head is, is e-commerce right now we know for a fact that e-commerce is, is the way to go and it's well established in developed countries the context may differ in terms of what products you prioritize and the payment mechanisms but the core technology uh, on which the, the ecosystems are built, you know, how you build the marketplace to bring together the sellers, the buyers, the logistics handlers. Those are things we can learn from. That, that The way they've already been built, those are technologies we can content, easily contextualize rather than build entirely from scratch. So all we need, and I think it's been highlighted before, the fact that even um, in the uh, Africa free trade area, the e-commerce protocol is still not fully fledged, fully developed. But we, if we work on the policy side, I think there is already enough underlying technology that we can learn from and easily contextualize. We just need to figure uh, a few things out on the regulatory um, side to be able to take advantage of this and, and, and make sure we don't get the short end of the stick as we do the technology uh, transfer so that we don't pay way, you know, too, too huge a cost. Than we ought to uh, to get the, to to be able to derive the benefits. The transfer of, of technology, I definitely agree that it's the easiest way to make the leap forward.
Okay, uh, thanks for that uh, contribution, Becky. And so, Monica, let me ask, uh, to what extent, like noting this, uh, what has been observed, to what extent is the African population able to exploit the digital markets on their own, you know, considering the skills, the financial resources that are available to purchase the requisite tech, hardware, and software, and also why does Africa not have the skills you know, uh, even as we are looking at, do we have the skills? Why do we not have the skills? And if we have no financial resources, why do we not have financial resources? I mean, there's a lot of minerals in Africa. Why can't some of those resources be invested into the digital economy, acquiring the hardware and the software needed? And also, if you could also speak about what would be the benefits and the challenges to opening up uh, the digital economy to foreign investors. Um, thank you so much, Christine. So beginning with why we do not have uh, resources, I believe it's because of poor political will and lack of incentive from the politicians in terms of uh, implementation of policies in terms of um, redistribution of, of, of money, redistribution of loans, redistribution of debts collected, and very high uh, rates of corruption. As we all know, the African continent, in fact, recently issued, I think, by Transparency International, that placed Kenya among one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And this makes it difficult for people to access even the most basic of services, for example, uh, justice and health and uh, security. So one of the reasons why there is uh, a lack of resource in Africa, it is not because there is a lack of resource per se, but it's because the resources available are greatly being mismanaged and being misused by the politicians. And secondly, since the politicians do not have political will to actually see through the development of uh, the digital trade in Africa, they have not put in place measures or uh, implemented research that has been presented to them, telling them, hey, this is the percentage of people that do not have access to internet in Africa, and this is what you need to do to be able to increase this number. So we have seen that politicians are being presented uh, on a day-to-day -day basis by very up-to-date uh, studies, by very in-depth researchers that are trying to point towards the problem, but they do not have the political will to solve this problem. And I will give an example of my country once again. Just recently, people have suffered greatly due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but the government has greatly insisted on making constitutional amendments that majority of the country feels is not appropriate in this time of economic turmoil. So we, got, we are seeing that there is... Um, resources, they want to take loans, they want to use money, but they're putting it in the wrong area. The UNCTAD report of 2020 indicates that the uh, majority of the people that used to uh, engage in trade on a face-to-face -face basis moved to online trading because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and this number is likely to increase even post-pandemic. And so the UNCTAD Secretary General, the former Secretary General, Dr. Mokisa Kichui, recommended that the pandemic uh, should awaken governments to a possibility in which they put themselves in a position to improve investment in their own countries by re getting rid of uh, investment bureaucracies that would prevent their populations from accessing critical technological investment and infrastructure that would enable African countries 
competition market. And concerning uh, why uh, there are no skills in Africa, Rebecca had already spoken about this, and this mainly goes on to the issue of education. The education system in Africa is highly uh, is highly historical, if I can put it that way, given that the uh, the it was only recently again I'm going to use the example of my country that we Kenya introduced the competency based curriculum in which students were being taught based on their own competencies and not on uh, the traditional method of teaching students, imparting knowledge on them, and testing those who are able to pass and those who are not able to pass. So if we can redirect our education system to be able to include the teaching of students of digital skills and even the larger population on digital skills, it would be very critical for Africa to, uh, it would be very beneficial for Africa in terms of um, allowing its population to effectively compete in the global market due to the resources that they have. And then on the final issue on to what extent the African population is able to exploit the digital market on their own, this comes to the question of the digital divide that has been the central point of our discussion today. So there are three types of digital divide, and the first one is the access divide, which is which basically refers to the infrastructure divide. And this is when uh, there are countries that are developed that have the infrastructure, and then there's less developed countries, majority of them being uh, African countries and South American countries that do not have infrastructure on the internet. The second type of digital divide is the use divide. And this is the inability, the people have access to internet, but majority of them do not know how to use it. There was a study by the International Telecommunications Unit that actually confirmed that in approximately 40 countries, half of the population does not know how to attach a document in an email. So this shows that people have access, sometimes even in these developing countries, they have access to the internet, but they do not know how to properly make use of this internet. Then the final type of digital divide is the quality of use. So you have the internet, you have the infrastructure, you're able to access it. You have the digital skills, but you do not have enough quality of use of these, these materials. You're able to um, navigate the internet, but you're not able to make the most out of this. So to the extent that the African population can be able to exploit this digital market, it's going to rely primarily on governments taking uh, incentives and taking active um programs to ensure that these three types of digital divides are appropriately bridged in their population. And this is by first ensuring that there is infrastructure, and this is possible by redirecting funds into the development of digital infrastructure. And secondly, ensuring that their population has enough use of, uh, has enough skills to use the internet. And again, this goes to the education from the basic level of education up to the tertiary level of education, we can be able to institute programs to enable the populations have adequate use of the internet. And finally, on the quality of use, the government can um, again invest in education to ensure that uh, the populations are able to make the most out of the internet. And this includes in terms of research, uh, um, innovation competitions, entrepreneurship awards, and allowing people to research and to publish academic material 
that would allow people to improve the quality of the benefits that they're getting from the internet. I hope I have answered um, these issues and I look forward to the feedback from the other members of the panel. Thank you. Monica, you have addressed it perfectly and thanks for that input that you've given. And uh, I think we, as we are winding down the discussion, Chito, I would, uh, let me come back to you and hear what you have to say generally about this topic of like Africa and the resources that are available and the lack of maybe interest or the skills to exploit uh, the, any, the little internet access that we have, for instance. Uh, and you can generally make your final remarks on this topic, and then we can move on to Becky, and then Monica can wind up the discussion. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, I really do agree with everything that has been said earlier by Becky and, and Monica. You know, Monica spoke about research and re development, uh, research and development within the continent, which I feel like is very important because it it speaks to you know the issues of developing capacity but i feel like the problem that we have when we when we look at research and development we realize that in as much as i mean there are a lot of papers that have been written about on on africa embracing technology there are a lot of webinars that have been held there are a lot of conversations but people are generally lack interest in that and I think access to technology for a long time has not been a first generation right. And if you look at the state of most African countries, they are still struggling to access the fundamental human rights, right? We're talking about first generation rights. But now if you look at the way at which digitalization is accelerated, you would realize that soon enough, the right to actually be on the internet or have access to the internet is fast becoming an, a first-generation right in the sense that it is then that access actually then helps um, realize the other first-generation rights. It, it helps, you know, real. It helps governments be able to even uh, promote and 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 and, and safeguard uh, the fundamental human rights. So, in in actual fact, I would almost suggest that it be a human right if it's not a human right. Uh, then I wanted to, to speak on the issue of incubation, right? So I, I noticed that with most of these other startups within the fintech uh, space, there's a lot of incubation that happens within the already existing uh, financial services, um, you know, businesses or enterprises. So this small, this new entrance or yeah, this entrance into the market are incubated in to, to cushion them and, and help deal with all those resolves that relate to, you know, capital and, and, and finances and a lot of all these other things. And I feel like that's also the same thing that government has to do. Government has to incubate any other business or any other innovative idea that comes from anybody that in a way helps bridge the digital divide or helps elevate the the literacy or the digital illiteracy within the within the continent, whatever that it, it, it contributes to this whole discussion. I feel like there needs to be a lot of incubation. And I'll give an example of Malaysia. It actually did that um, during the COVID-19 pandemic period, that the government itself literally had to set aside funds to incubate all these other innovative ideas and, you know, products that help with digitalization. And I feel like that's a very good thing. Uh, another thing, the 
uh, I want to speak briefly on, 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 on why we, we, we keep having the same conversations and there seem not to be any change. Mainly because the question that uh, most policymakers have to ask is how they stand to benefit. So the reason why the telecom sector is not developed or there is not much of market access within or it's closed and there is monopoly is because there are people who still get to benefit from that monopolistic tenancy. When, when then there is competition and all markets have been open, they've been liberalized, there is not so much that people benefit. So I feel like we need to move away from that mentality that we just have to benefit without benefiting the greater populace. So I like what, uh, what the, 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 the EU, United States of America also seems to be like. It's United States based. Let it, let it be a culture that we start cultivating in ourselves as future leaders, as policymakers today, that we put the people first. We put, um, economic, uh, you know, development first. We put development generally first because when we then look at development from the point of amateur said, you realize that it's an all-inclusive term that speaks to political, social, economic, and socio-economic development. So we need to put development first, African development first, the Africa we want first. And I feel like we can be then in a position to make uh, regulatory changes and policy uh, changes that actually impact development generally. And this also then speaks to, you know, digitalization and all this and all these other conversations. But at the same time, I don't feel like it's so bleak for the continent because in as much as governments are not giving people much to work with, the people themselves that are within the continent are trying so hard to try and capitalize on these opportunities and, you know, bridge the, the gap. We look at the, the corporate sector. We look at uh, most telephone companies that, well, I'm not going to speak about state points, but I'm going to talk about private-owned entities. In Zimbabwe, we have got Econet. It's a private-owned uh, uh, company. Aside the issues of, you know, competition and how there is egalitarian and all these other things, it has actually managed to, to, to bridge the, the gap in Zimbabwe to an extent. You know, there are a lot of incentives that come with that business. There is a lot of you know, uh, incubation that is happening. And also, you'd realize that they were actually stepping up to try and ensure that there is financial inclusion for the financially excluded. We now have, uh, we can have two conversations about mobile money uh, platforms that are actually being run by independent uh, corporate, uh, independent, independent companies within the corporate sector. So I feel like we, we, we need to also then um, consider that. And uh, during the COVID pandemic, you realize that most people stepped up. You know, businesses had to reinvent themselves because the government-induced lockdowns to try and control the spread of the virus literally meant that the whole world was on standstill. The whole continent was on standstill. People couldn't go to work. They couldn't go to school. And all these other services could not be easily accessible. But you have businesses trying to reinvent themselves, even SMEs. Even the macro, mid, um, the micro businesses within the continent had to reinvent themselves to make sure that they catch on to this problem of e-commerce and digitalization. So I feel like what we then now need at the end of the day is government support. So I'm going to put the burden on the government. The government has the burden of proof actually in this matter. Government, so to say, to make sure that they help in bridging or in, in, in dealing with this, this uh, digital inequality. Because as far as the common man is concerned in Africa, I feel like they are doing way much more to try and, you know, catch on to the wagon and, and fully digitalize. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Chido, those are very good remarks and we will follow up on some of the points that you've raised. Uh, 
there in your discussion, especially on the incubators and also like the role that the government should be playing. And again, you go to things like uh, governments now have decided to start taxing the digital economy in, in all manner of ways within Africa. So you wonder what should be the best approach at this point. Uh, Rebecca, if you could uh, also make your final remarks on the topic. Um, I think my ends are brief, uh, but the mixed reactions of both feeling hopeful in terms of um, there there is an effect from COVID nineteen that is going to stick and because COVID forced businesses everyone big uh, large and and small scale businesses to digitize very quickly as far um you know within their capacities and some of that effect is likely to stay so that's a good thing because we are likely to experience what we've been talking about we have potential to leapfrog some stages or we didn't invest so hard in uh, in in technology that has been deemed archaic now. So now we have the chances to just plug in into the recent technologies. But my the other side is that I don't feel very confident in terms of the speed at which the digital transformation is happening. I feel like the public sector who have a, a, a huge mandate of, of regulating and coming up with some of the frameworks that would allow this digital transformation to be flawless, and especially in terms of uh, when you're talking now about the African market being one, you're talking about the tax issues there, you have remittances there, you have data privacy. So that's the side where I'm a bit apprehensive because uh, looking at the kind of hesitancy, and Chido has talked about it, we, we don't see a lot of proactiveness in having these policies in place. And that could be a huge, huge issue, especially when you think about the kind of uh, exposure that that moving moving people who are not historically very uh, literate forget about te- technological literate, technological literate moving them suddenly to 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 a digi- digital space. I'm I'm a bit apprehensive. Like this, I don't feel like the regulators are keeping up with the with the rate of digitization, and that could be very costly in terms of um, you know cyber crime. So that's the part where I feel I'm, I'm happy about, like this year has been very productive, 2021 alone, uh, we, are, we are not even six months in, but the amount of foreign invest, investment that has come in into uh, high growth startups that are coming up with solutions to African problems in la- every every area you can think of, every industry, you have um, e-learning, telemedicine, agriculture. So I feel excited on on one end. But on the other end, those are people in the non-profit and, and, and uh, private sector. But I don't feel like the public sector and the regulators are keeping up and that could potentially be a big problem. So I think my ending remarks is that I feel I have mixed, mixed feelings about where we are. Thanks a lot for that, Becky. Quite some good observations there on the regulation side and much truly needs to be done. Uh, Monica, uh, if you could keep your closing remarks on the topic. Um, thank you, Rebecca and Chido, for your comments. I completely agree. And my final comments would be to greatly recommend to governments, especially now, and they are supposed to see through actively the realization of phase two and phase three of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement concerning um, intellectual property, investment, competition, and e-commerce to hasten it the way 
Chris, uh, Rebecca has talked about to hasten the process to ensure that by the time it comes out, it is not uh, too late for them. Secondly, I would also uh, recommend to governments uh, to participate in the ongoing discussions in the WTO concerning uh, the investment facilitation and the initiative on uh, e-commerce. Given that the Doha round has not come into completion, it would be a waste of time to wait for it to come to completion while other countries are concluding prelateral agreements that are likely to affect the international scope of uh, trade in e-commerce and uh, digital space. So they're supposed to take advantage of this and not uh, keep complaining that they are far behind and just jump into the agreement and understand as much as they can and seek to have their interests secured. So for individual businesses, I would recommend that uh, the businesses invest in technologies, especially digital technologies that would enable them reduce their trade costs. They're supposed to take advantage of new trade technologies including digital platforms, the businesses that are still operating face-to-face, it is high time that they start shifting towards trading, if not uh, uh, both face-to-face and digitally. Uh, they should trade completely digitally because it will reach a time where a majority of businesses will be trading online. So they're supposed to take advantage of these new uh, platforms. Individual businesses are also supposed to drive for policy change that is favorable for the implementation of technologies. And this includes the private sector going um, hand in hand with uh, government policymakers and ensuring that their interests are taken into account in situations of policy making and policy change. So if they do not take advantage of um, policy decisions, they may be locked out of critical decisions that are likely to affect them. For example, the digital tax. If the private uh, sector could have come in and negotiated this properly, perhaps it would have taken a different direction. And for governments as well, they are supposed to ensure that um, they remove the obstacles to technological trade and employ regulatory changes that would facilitate the application of technology in uh, various areas of uh, digital trade. And they should also prioritize investment in digital infrastructure, like we have talked about, open up their borders to international investment, ensure that their local and international investors are well protected, and they should also ensure that uh, Digital regulations are internationally streamlined. This goes back again to the WTO, Joint Statement Initiative on e-commerce and digital platforms. And then finally, concerning this whole digital divide and how to uh, bridge the gap, I would uh, recommend to individual persons, including you and I, to make sure that we take advantage of the available digital learning opportunities. There are so many courses online that teach people how to code, that teach people how to... Um, uh, trade digitally that people how to create online uh, social uh, following uh, to enable them gain an advantage in terms of trading. So I would recommend that each one of us take uh, it upon ourselves to understand and reduce uh, the link, the weak link that is often attributed to human beings when it comes to issues of technology. So I thank all of my panel members for having given their wonderful insights, and I look forward to seeing the future that the African continent is going to portray in terms of the digital trade. Thank you so much, Christine. Okay, thanks a lot, Monica, for your contribution uh, tonight. And thank you, Chido. Thank you, Rebecca for the contributions that you've made. These discussions, we hope the person listening to them later on, you can leave comments and give uh, any feedback. on, And also, more importantly, take this information and act on it. 
But also, I think a main thing that I'd like to mention is that change of mindset is important for like the governments and the policymakers across Africa. We've had discussions uh, in the past, like with Becky, about like 3D printing, how that's going to change the whole landscape of manufacturing. And governments and policymakers need to realize this is something that's happening. So when someone is planning on where to invest, they need to think how the investments that they are making today will be affected by that. So also, for instance, we are speaking about uh, self-driving trucks with, with Chido, and we are noting that, for instance, the design of roads right now, you should, the government should change their mindset and realize that any even brick-and-mortar investment today will be affected eventually by what uh, the fourth industrial revolution is going to impact, the impact that it will have. So uh, thank you everyone for this discussion tonight. We will have uh, future discussions on the digital uh, economy and the digital market in Africa. And for our listeners, and you realize that this topic of the digital markets and the digital economy is of we have it so often in this forum, but it's because that really is is the future of where Africa should be looking and be planning around. Thank you everyone for listening tonight and we all will say goodnight and whenever you listen to this, may you have a nice rest of your day or night.